Welcome to Trial Tested, a podcast by the American College of Trial Lawyers, an enlightening discussion about life and law created to elevate and inspire trial attorneys. I am your host, Terry Nasherin. Late at night on October 30th, 1994, Marcus Boyd was shot to death on the front porch of his home in St. Louis, Missouri. An eyewitness described the assailants as two men wearing ski masks that showed only their eyes. Based largely on that eyewitness's testimony, Lamar Johnson was charged and convicted of murdering Boyd. But over the years, the case began to unravel. The eyewitness admitted he couldn't see the assailants well enough to identify them, and two other men confessed to having shot Boyd. Faced with that new evidence, the city of St. Louis prosecutor did the right thing and sought to vacate Mr. Johnson's conviction. But the Missouri Supreme Court disagreed, holding that, a, that the prosecutor had no proper procedural basis to seek a new trial for Mr. Johnson. It took passage of a new state law allowing prosecutors to seek to remedy wrongful convictions for Mr. Johnson finally to get relief. In 2023, Lamar Johnson finally walked out of a courtroom a free man, having served nearly 28 years for a crime that he didn't commit. Today, we're speaking with Lamar Johnson and the trial lawyer who was appointed special prosecutor to evaluate the case and ultimately to file a motion to vacate Mr. Johnson's convictions. American College of Trial Lawyers fellow Charlie Weiss. Welcome, Lamar and Charlie, and thank you so much for being with us. Lamar, I'd like to start by thank asking you, you a question. Th thank you for being with us. Lamar, during the time that you spent in prison, I understand that you did quite a bit of investigation of the case yourself. Would you tell us some of the things that you learned through your own investigation? Well, well, well it, started, it started with a letter from uh, one of the men who was responsible for Marcus's death. He wrote a letter explaining that, uh, that he and he named a person uh, named James Howard that they committed the murder. And uh, they explained why it happened, how it happened, what they did before and after it. And I tried to uh, get a hearing on that before my sentencing, but that the rules wouldn't allow for it. So, I always knew who had done it, at least after my trial and before my sentence. But I knew that there was other evidence in the case, and, and knowing that I had, didn't have anything to do with this, I knew that something had to have gone wrong. And so I, did, I took the steps that, you know, I think a lot of people who, who are wrongly in prison do. I went to, got a job in the library, I learned as much as I could about the law. I invested in books and things that would teach me how to do investigations and how to get uh, records from uh, the courts and different law enforcement agencies. And from there, I, one of the first avenues I started investigating on was the jailhouse informant in my case. And I learned that he was a career informant. He had done this in uh, another case two years before. He wrote a letter to a judge asking for leniency in a case, claiming to have been a confidential informant for state and federal law enforcement, that he had, had evidence against crooked uh, highway patrolman, and that he had also 
worked with police, the Kansas City police, in about 40-some cases, cases in an area uh, involving black defendants. That's what he said in his letter. And I had to go to actually each court. And so it was just through my investigation I was able to get a lot of that information. None of that was information, Lamar, that your lawyer had when you went to trial? No. No. No, it wasn't come over to it. How did you come to learn about the problems with the eyewitnesses' testimony? Well, I think it opened up a new prison. And before you can get transferred, the caseworker has to, you know, just kind of run a check to see if you have any potential enemies anywhere. And that's how I learned that the jailhouse, that the eyewitness had, he had also had been in, in some trouble. And so I reached out to him and I just asked him to tell me the truth. If, if there was anything missing in there about his testimony or anything like that, just has to tell the truth. And, and but if it wasn't, you know, to, to just say there wasn't. And he wrote a letter and he just, it, it was from the beginning to the end, just laying out how he had been pressured to say that I had was involved in the case. He said that he had been compensated, that he'd received monies to get a new apartment and just, you know, help with groceries and all, you know, just, just a lot of compensation. And I tried to find out if that was true. And so I wrote the St. Louis City uh, uh, and of course they said that, you know, that get out of here, that, that didn't happen. And so I, I wrote the police department as well. So every, every agency kept saying, no, it, you know, we don't have any records of any compensation to the witness. And so later on, this project became involved in my case and they too requested these documents as well. And they too was told that these documents didn't exist. And the only thing that was provided to us with that was some payment to Marcus's family to help out with his burial. That's the only thing that they said existed. And so it wasn't until later on when Kim Gardner and Charlie Weissman became involved in my case uh, that turned out to not be the case and we was actually able to get those documentation. And Kim Gardner, she was the prosecuting attorney for the city of St. Louis, right? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Charlie, let me ask you, you became involved in this case in a rather unusual role. Would you tell us how it was that you came to be involved in the case and then what you were asked to do really on behalf of the prosecutor's office in, in order to investigate and, and potentially seek relief in this case? Sure. Uh, my involvement began in 2019. Kim Gardner, the St. Louis City Prosecuting Attorney, uh, had on be at, at the request of the Midwest Innocence Project file a motion for a new trial for Lamar. She was convinced that he was innocent of the crime for which he was convicted. The St. Louis City Circuit judge dismissed the case at the request of the Missouri Attorney General for the reason that there was no motion for a new trial under the local rule because a motion for a new trial had to be filed within 30 days of any judgment. Now we're talking about 20 plus years later. That was a that dismissal was ultimately appealed by Kim Gardner to the Missouri Supreme Court. 
during that appeal, we were requested by a group of prosecuting attorneys around the country who had conviction integrity units to inter intervene in the case as an amicus for that group to support Lamar's case or to support Kim Gardner's motion for new trial. So we briefed that, and in the case of that briefing, we obviously we had most of the information that the Midwest Innocent Project and Lamar had put together proving his innocence. In any event, the Supreme Court in 2020 affirmed the, the dismissal on the grounds that there was no such motion for a new trial after the lapse of this much time. We then, along with persons from the Midwest Innocent Project and a retired Missouri Supreme Court judge, uh, Michael Wolf, drafted a statute in Missouri that would allow any prosecuting attorney in the state, if he or she had information, clear and, clear and convincing information that the person was innocent, there was a constitutional violation that uh, undermined doubt in his conviction. That statute was passed and became effective in August of 2021. Prior to that time, though, we would be asked by Kim Gardner if we would serve as a special assistant prosecuting attorney uh, on Lamar's case. And we did that. We, we negotiated an engagement letter with Kim Gardner's office that we would serve as an assistant special prosecuting attorney for her. And with respect to Lamar's case, we would only file the case if we were convinced he was innocent. So we spent about almost a year investigating the case as best we could reviewing all the evidence that had been put together by Lamar and the Midwest Innocence Project and decided in our own mind, we went, I went up and personally visited Lamar in prison to see him face to face. And we determined he was innocent and we then filed our suit in late 2020, 2022. The case was then tried in, in December of, of, of 2022. Let me stop you there, Charlie, and ask, you, you said that you would only become involved in the case if you were convinced that Lamar was innocent. You know, we Correct. oftentimes, oftentimes the, those of us who do pro bono defense work are approached by individuals who say, I didn't do it or write letters and say, I'm innocent and I need a lawyer to represent me. And, and maybe I'm a bit jaded, but you know, I, I don't tend to believe all of those letters. What was it that convinced you in this particular case, Charlie, that Lamar was innocent? One, face-to-face uh, -face talk with Lamar. Two, we had access and saw, and, and saw the letters that had been written by one of the murderers to Lamar while they were both in jail together. And he basically said, Lamar, I'm sorry I got you into this. I know you didn't have anything to do with it. It was me and James B.A. Howard that did this. So we had those, and, and not only did we have the letters, but that person who, sensed this, who was deceased before we filed the suit wrote affidavits claiming, uh, attesting the fact that he was involved in, in one of the two murders. We then also went down and personally interviewed Lamar James B.A. Howard in prison. He, he was now in prison for another murder that he'd committed. And we spent the afternoon interviewing him. We were convinced that he was telling the truth. So we had the affidavits of one of the murderers who had since deceased, and we actually had a face-to-face -face interview with the other murderer who was in prison. I had not had too many cases where we had the actual murderers who, were, who actually committed the crime confess. So 
we were convinced that Lamar was innocent. There was no doubt in our mind. Now, you, you then became involved in this trial in which, in essence, you were, you as the prosecutor, were seeking a declaration that Lamar was innocent. I've, I've seen some of the video coverage of the trial. I know you and Lamar were sitting at the same counsel table. Who was fighting you? The Missouri Attorney General's office had entered their appearance and was, fight, was opposing the, the, our motion. Now, how did you go about conducting the trial? What, what stood out to you as a trial lawyer in terms of um, impact in that trial as the judge is considering whether to undo this 28-year-old conviction? When we filed our motion to vacate the conviction of the new statute, uh, the case was assigned to Judge David Mason in St. Louis. And he had a, several pretrial uh, hearings with us. The initial pretrial hearings, he was going to allow the Midwest Innocence Project, who was representing Lamar, to conduct interview, to conduct examination. Then we would, we, assistant circuit attorneys, would come next, and then the attorney general would come third. But a week before trial, he decided he was going to change his mind. He said that he would not allow, allow the Midwest Innocence Project lawyers to, to examine any witnesses at trial. It would just be our, myself and my partner, Jonathan Potts, on behalf of the circuit attorney's office and the attorney general. They'd be the only ones, they would be the only ones that could actually do the examination. So Jonathan and I got together early on and said, uh, you know, the two, the two critical witnesses that actually proven and established that Lamar did not commit this crime were those lone surviving murderer, James Howard, and the eyewitness who identified, who has testified at Lamar's trial that he recognized Lamar as the, one of the persons that committed the murder. We said, we'll put both those on the first day of trial. That'd be the strongest thing we could do. But that's what we did. So in the morning on the first day of trial, James Howard came up from prison. They brought him up from prison the night before, and he testified as the first witness, confessing that he was that he committed the murder and Lamar had nothing to do with it. And then on the uh, the second witness we called that day was Greg Elking, the eyewitness uh, who testified at trial that he he, was living, he had been living with this for 20 plus years. He regretted what he had done. He knew he'd put an innocent man in jail. He didn't know how he could make up for it. He basically said that he testified falsely on the stand. He did not recognize the people who committed the murder. They were both, both of them had black uh, clothes on and a black ski mask on. And he did it because he, you know, he, he wanted to help the police. He thought the police were counting on him and they pressured him to do it. Those are, those are the two, I think, critical witnesses right off the bat. And that probably sealed it for the judge from that time on. I've read some of the coverage of the case from the time, Charlie, and it's clear the judge took a particularly active part in the trial. Could you tell us a little bit about how the judge approached these witnesses who you've just told us about? The judge, as you pointed out, was actively involved in the trial and questioned himself. Each witness, I think, I think he, he questioned at length each of the witnesses that testified on direct examination, even those that were put on by the state. So he was very actively involved in the case throughout. One of the issues in the case 
Mr. Elking, the eyewitness, had testified that while he could not see any of the witnesses, including Lamar, uh, one of the witnesses had a lazy eye. And he thought Lamar had a lazy eye, and that's how he was able to pick Lamar out of the lineup. The judge throughout the week had kept, you know, Lamar was right in front of him, sitting at the council table. And toward the end, he asked Lamar to stand up. One of the witnesses on the stand, I think, was the detective that investigated the case. And he asked, somebody here in the courtroom got a camera? Bring your cell phone up here. Stand in front of Mr. Lamar Johnson. You think he has a lazy eye? Look at that. You think that's a lazy eye? He said, I've looked, been looking at Mr. Johnson the whole week. I don't think he has a lazy eye. So that's how he, he was very much involved in the case. Lamar, as you sat there and listened to all of this testimony being given, how did you feel? Did you feel as if the judge was was on your side or were you still worried as the trial was going on? Well, I, I couldn't say that he was on my side, but I, I, I did appreciate that he asked a lot of questions and he was very determined to give the facts. Uh, I, I'd always believed that if I ever had got a chance to present my case in a Florida for a hearing that it would come out on the right side. And so I was hopeful and, and everything seemed to be uh, coming out just as I expected to. Now you did the trial, as I recall, in December and the judge had you all come back on Valentine's Day to announce his ruling in the case. Lamar, could you describe for us what it was like to sit in the courtroom that day waiting for the judge's decision? Anxious. I uh, sat at the table. I did, I, I, you know, everybody kind of seemed to indicate that he was going to come with a quick decision, uh, at least around the holidays. But then uh, January came, and then it just as time went on, it, it, it you started to be. I started to feel unsure because I didn't know if if the the long the longer wait was a good sign or not. And when we went into the courtroom, uh, we were you know just sitting there, and um, you know I had no idea what what side he he was on, and especially when he started to read you know address how he came to reach his decision. It was kind of like a, a long uh, wait, and we was in suspense. But of course, when he finally did announce that he was granting the circuit attorney's motion, uh, it was just it just felt like uh, a 28-year wait had been lifted from me. How did you keep going for so many years in prison, Lamar, knowing that you were innocent? Uh, and and not being able to convince anyone to listen to the truth. What kept you going? The truth. The truth is what kept me going. I knew that I hadn't killed Marcus, so I knew that something had to have gone wrong for that to happen. And so when I went to prison, I focused on trying to find out what happened. And, you know, there's a saying that you don't know how strong you are until being strong is the only choice that you have. And so for me not to continue uh, fighting and, and trying to be heard, just simply giving up and accepting an injustice. And I just couldn't imagine doing that. You've been now reunited with your family, Lamar, after many years. Tell us what it's been like to be able to be with your, your two girls again after so many years. 
Well, being in prison, um, most of the prisons I was in were hours away from St. Louis, which is where my family stayed. You know, I was lucky to get a, a visit you know, once or twice a year. And there are times when I would go, go for years without seeing my family. And then, of course, when you do see your family there, there's all these restrictions. You, you can only hug for a brief moment. And so when I finally was released and I was able to, you know, give my mother a real hug and to spend this time with my daughters who were now grown, it, it's, it's an indescribable feeling. I mean, and, I, you know, something that I, I, I would never, ever take for granted. And I understand, Lamar, that you were even able to walk one of your daughters down the aisle at her wedding earlier this year. I did. That was that was a pure blessing, and uh, you know, because when she when I left her, she was just five months old, and then to be there to see her as this grown, beautiful woman who is making this decision to you know start a life with somebody else, and to to want me to be able to be able to participate with that, considering that I hadn't really been able to be a big part of her life, was it was just a, a special moment for me. Charlie, I know that you've been involved in innocence work for a number of years. What would you say to attorneys who are listening to this program about why you do innocence work and, and, and why they might think about becoming involved? Well, I think many of us, looking back at it, became lawyers and went to law school because we truly believed that it was a profession in which we could uh, bring some justice to those who might not otherwise receive justice. This is this type of work, declaring a person who was convicted of a horrible crime, who's been sentenced to either life or in prison or death, there's a real need for our lawyers to represent innocent people. It, it takes a lot of perseverance, it takes a lot of work, but the reward is there also at the end. There's nothing more rewarding than to see an innocent person like Lamar, who suffered 28 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. I can't imagine being in prison for 21 years with somebody saying you were convicted of a horrible crime and you weren't. Uh, but it is a rewarding work, and I would encourage anyone who has the time and uh, the motivation to get involved in the innocence work. Truly a rewarding uh, type of work. Lamar, I'll give you the last word. What are your hopes and dreams now that you've finally been able to get justice? Well, my hopes and dreams is like everybody else. I just want to live peacefully and to have an opportunity to, to, to prosper and live a life that's, that's rewarding and that enables me to you know, live in society and, 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 and contribute. Lamar, thank you so much for being with us. I, I commend your your dedication to your own case to the to the cause of justice and i wish you all the best in the future charlie thank you so much for being with us and for showing us what the best of our profession can do thank you terry thank you for having us thank you lamar thank you Charlie. i'd like to thank you all for listening to trial tested a podcast of the American College of Trial Lawyers. The American College is dedicated to maintaining and improving the standards of trial practice, professionalism, ethics, and the administration of justice. Subscribe now to catch every inspiring episode.